when I was younger, my whole thing was men would give me a list of things they wanted out of a woman. Um, and if I didn't have some of those things, it was, um, you know, then they could justify not taking me on a regular date, you know? And the biggest one for, uh, for me when I was younger was whether or not I looked like a conventionally cisgendered woman. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking with YouTube star Cat Black. Cat Black is an American YouTube personality and transgender rights activist. She has contributed to websites such as Everyday Feminism and the Huffington Post's Black Voices section. Black participated in a panel on writing transgender characters at San Diego Comic-Con in 2015 and was a keynote speaker at the University of Toledo's LGBTQA History Month celebration, and we are super excited to have her here this week with us. All right, Kat, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yay. Uh, so could you give our listeners a quick um, you know, introduction of who you are and what it is that you do? I'm always really bad at describing myself, but I'll give it a try. <laughs> I am a speaker, writer, illustrator, and animator, and I've been making YouTube videos for over 10 years. And right now my main sort of focus is creating content that is educational and um, uplifting, but also critical. It's a firm hand, but it's it's still very like, hey, here's the information if you need it. So that's what I do. And I currently um, just started writing again about dating relationships, polyamory, racism, sexism, all that fun stuff. So nice, all that fun stuff. But you okay? You've been making YouTube videos for ten years, like since yeah, since wow. like the YouTube the occurred. <laughs> yes, literally, yeah, started. first occurred. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I literally I mean, started in 2005. Wow. wow. So, yeah. so you were, you must have been pretty young when you started. I was 15. Oh, oh my, my gosh. goodness. <laughs> yeah. You were like the pioneer for all of the like little young, gen, what the are they now? Gen Y or Gen something? Or like I don't even cameras. know. Gen yeah. Zers who are, yeah, yeah who want to be like oh, YouTube yeah, stars. Z's. That's so interesting. Exactly. YouTube was so different though. Like it wasn't anywhere near what it is today. Like right. YouTube was where you put like the video you took at the lake with your cousin where you pushed exactly. in the lake, you know, like, <laughs> exactly. and then you, link. five people would watch it, you know, and that's it. Like, <laughs> yeah. there was no being a YouTuber, like, the idea was really, like, outlandish and not thought of. So it's really kind of surreal that it's my job now. Yeah, yeah seriously. Awesome. No, it's so funny. And it's so funny that it's like, you know, viral content was this like very accidental thing that it's like you happen to put up a somewhat mildly funny video of your dog and enough people just happened to share it and and then that was it you know like it was heady days they were maybe more yeah. innocent times i don't know I'm it was so sure. much more innocent i do sometimes <laughs> miss when when youtube was just cats like just cats mm -hmm. you know and polite disagreements you know yeah. right right <laughs> so so can you tell us um like, at what point was it that you transitioned from just kind of making whatever videos to kind of 
finding a bit of a focus or like a message and and what was that <laughs> well it's it's strangely topical um i so i started my youtube in a very like coming coming to my computer after school turning my camera on and talking about my life sort of thing um i was a really huge fan of journaling um mm. and i've loved journaling because like you can write something about monday and if you're writing you know every day for a week you got a story and so mm always like my the way my channel was was just this very real me talking about my daily life um which was mostly kind of related to like dating and you know my growth as a trans person and stuff um and then <laughs> i reached a point in transition where there was nothing to talk about mm -hmm. and then i got into like this really long-term monogamous relationship with someone and it was like what am I going to do? Make adorable videos of me and my boyfriend being quaint. It's just, it's not like there's nothing to talk about anymore. And around this time was when um, a lot of stuff with Mike Brown was happening. Black Lives Matter was happening. And I had sort of like this realization of, you know, where things really were because I grew up um, interestingly enough in like a very, um, I grew up in the suburbs, but it was a very person of color suburb. Um, mm -hmm. And so I hadn't really dealt with a lot of like white supremacy or like anti-blackness and like just being aware of that. It was very easy for me to look at my childhood and be like, well, look, we're all diverse and this and this and mm -hmm. that. And then, you know, of course, I, I going to college, it was like I was I went to Cal Arts in Valencia mm -hmm. and yeah. like that is like one of the first times where I experienced being in like a very deep, mostly white area. Mm -hmm. um, like the area, like there was something like there was a person who was running for open office in, um, I don't know, I don't know if it was Valencia or the place over that was like an open white supremacist. Like I had never oh sort goodness. of dealt with wow. that sort of thing. Wow. Um, and it was like there's a veil that was lifted of the world. And when I saw like specifically the reaction to Mike Brown and I saw some of my friends sort of say things that were pretty anti-black that I wasn't expecting to hear from them. It was this sort of awakening moment for me of like shit needs to change and we're not where we need to be. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, like a lot of my sort of education based stuff honestly comes from me getting into a shitload of Facebook arguments where right. <laughs> I just would suck my entire day up, you know, not only just writing stuff, but also researching things to write. And, you know, I've always sort of been a person um, who I like to put my energy into some sort of creative thing. Um, and this time also coincided when around the time where, you know, I got into the animation industry, I hated it. Um, but I started working on my blog more because it was a thing to do. Um, and I realized, you know what, I could use all of my talents from college to also make these videos that are easy to understand, um, that are basically saying all these things I say in Facebook arguments, but, you know, simpler and I can just post the video and go on with my day. So yeah. that's kind of how it started. It's kind of like taking more of like that empowerment, I guess, in that situation. Mm -hmm. I guess that makes sense. So you've been creating content for a long time. You're definitely old hat at this particular scene and you know you also just launched a particularly new blog or as you refer to it an online diary um mm -hmm. which we'll include a link to in our show notes for this episode it's so great 
I, I loved you. reading. I I we like spent last night very late like reading a bunch of your posts and they're phenomenal. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, just yeah. a side note, just to say like I, I'm and I'm sorry to to sound like really gushy, but it's like honestly, if you're listening to this episode right now, go watch Cat Black's videos and go read yeah. her blog because it's just really amazing and really talented and like really quality content. And so oh, definitely you. really appreciate that. Oh, I'm but, blushing. But to get, <laughs> to get back to it, um, I really want to talk about, you know, okay, you've been making content for so long. And not only have you been making content, you've been making content that is, to a lot of people, controversial. You know, you mm-hmm. haven't been afraid to, like you said, use a firm hand and be very upfront and, uh, you know, not sugarcoating your opinion and your thoughts around things like racism, sexism, transphobia, um, all these kind of questions. And so, of course, you know, to put out any kind of opinion like that on the Internet means to have to deal with some kind of response back, Um, Mm -hmm. a varied response, often a vitriolic response. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering, after 10 years of doing this, like, what have you learned about maintaining your personal mental and emotional health while also expressing yourself online? Mm. Oh, I have so much to say about this. Um, (laughs) So it's so weird for me because honestly, making videos for me for a really long time was incredibly cathartic. Mm -hmm. And when I started making videos, it was really just about that. It was like I was going through a lot of stuff in school and I really didn't feel like I had anyone to really talk to. Um, You know, like my my blog started because I was writing a blog on Blogger um, where people were kind of like, hey, there's this YouTube thing, you should do it. And I was like, sure. But that was like such a small group of people. Um, But they were like a really passionate group of people. And those were like the people who I kind of made videos for, who watched me Mm. come home and make these really cathartic videos where I was kind of talking about how my day went, good or bad. And, um, you know, they were giving me advice or they were, you know, you know, being critical, but helpful. And that's what I really enjoyed doing for a while. And of course, you know, you end up getting um people commenting on there who you don't expect to comment like my funny story about my youtube channel is i i've been like sabotaging it for a very long time because i really really didn't like the idea of anyone actually knowing that i had a youtube channel Hmm. um when i had a youtube channel in high school um i i thought no one watched it i thought no one knew Hmm. anything about it um And I went to a weird school where like the jocks were not cool, but like the people who, you know, were really good in school, those were the cool kids. And, you know, I read awesome. Yeah, it was (laughs) it was every nerd's dream. Um, But like I I noticed that I was popular and I was in theater. And so like, you know, it kind of made sense. Like I had a lot of solos and things. So I assume that like when I walked around campus and people knew my name, it was that reason. (laughs) <laughs> but it turned out that like literally everyone watched my YouTube channel and it wow. was so mortifying because I like I was just talking about my day, which was like <laughs> talking in a way where you don't expect anyone to hear it. So it's like right. if I had an issue with a girl at school, I was like, oh, my God, this girl 20 minute mm. video complaining about this person. And I didn't realize that I didn't know people were watching my shit until literally the day before graduation. Oh, my God. And I was really? like, wow. oh, wow. wow. Um, that's why because awesome. it made so much sense. <laughs> like like because I would make a video about someone and then I would like notice that they were saltier at me than I oh, thought that they yeah. were. And I realized, oh, they've been watching these videos. And I, I don't know. I was in such my own world, though, because I wanted to go to um, 
Cal Arts. And so that was all I wanted to do. But, you know, some of the comments that I would get early on on my YouTube channel were things like, you know, kill yourself and stuff that really at the time, like deeply, deeply hurt me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because right, like, you're like a teenager. Yeah. Like, how I'm could it teenager. not? And all that stuff, like hearing someone say that to you, like, especially when you're already sort of depressed and feeling like you don't really have a future, like it's, it's rough, you know? Yeah. Um, I had some people at a certain point as some of my videos got a little bit of traction. Um, I had these like dedicated channels who would make all of these videos where they would take my, my, my face and they would put it on different things and just, you know, and it was really scary for me because I was a teenager, you know, I was young. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I had a lot of that sort of stuff really early on that was really sort of terrifying. And, you know, I would never want anyone to go through anything that I've gone through in terms of harassment online. But I'll be honest and say that it's definitely made me have a very different reaction to that sort of stuff than mm -hmm. a lot of my friends do, because when you deal with it so much, when you've dealt with it so intensely, you cannot like at a certain point, like there's you what what more can you really do? You know, mm. like and I became super aware of the fact that when these people did this stuff, when these people would harass me or would say really, really mean things, because I'm totally OK for the most part with criticism, you know, and I have a definite dif I dif definitely differentiate between people criticizing my ideas and then people attacking me. Yeah, Unfortunately, right. a lot of the people, you know, do both and they can't talk. You can't criticize me without attacking me. Mm -hmm. um, and I've learned that oftentimes when people do stuff like that, they're they're relying on you being a very insecure person mm. who, upon seeing this, is going to feel like, you know what, I, I should stop. It would just be better for me to just stop doing this and just to not do it. Their goal is to get you to shut up. And mm -hmm. if there's anything I know about myself, it's that I am incredibly determined and mm -hmm. I continuously, you know, even if something feels bad, I continue to do it anyway, if it makes me happy. Um, and so YouTube has always been that thing for me. And so mm. I actually I made a video recently where I was like, look, I've been doing this for 10 years, you know, like it's a it's a, it's a habit of mine. It's it's a compulsion almost. <laughs> so like if you're going to come on here and call me, you know, all these slurs and, you know, all these different things and think that I'm going to for a second be like, oh, well, shit, I guess I'll stop making videos. <laughs> you're really talking to the wrong person. No. You know, the worst. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate in that, like for me, the worst um, stuff that's happened to me happened way before my YouTube channel was as like modicumly successful as it mm -hmm. is now. So a lot mm -hmm. of people didn't see the result of a lot of the scary, scary harassment. So I had a lot of moments of, you know, being scared and then yeah deleting stuff or you know mm -hmm. not posting you know for a while but now it's like i can just i feel really confident and in terms of dealing with that um like i'll say that one of the things that people in my vertical on youtube end up doing a lot is feeling like they have to interact with um like other youtubers who are very alt-right or are very yeah. openly racist very openly white nationalist because they they'll always make videos about us right and there was a time where i got really whipped up in wanting to do videos that responded to that um and i and i you know i felt that way until i i a lot of them i actually saw them in person um 
because a bunch of them came to VidCon last year and try and like tried to intimidate different feminist YouTubers who happen to be working at the convention. Yeah, like I won't I won't put people's names out there, even though people will figure it out. But there is there is a very well there's a feminist who is very well known for being harassed online, who was at a panel and some of the main people who harassed her, who and of course, she knows their their faces decided mm-hmm. to sit in the front row of her talk and they all like held up cameras and like held up video, you know, their phones and stuff, live streaming her, trying to get her to respond. Right. Mm. Um, and, you know, for me, a lot, some people have different readings of this, but she did actually at a certain point respond and basically said, fuck all of you in the front mm. row. I mean, way more polite than that, but that's what she <laughs> kind of said. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people, reacted to it and made videos about it for weeks and for me seeing that because these are people who like flew from a lot often like the uk to come to a convention to sit in the front row of a person and try to embarrass them and when you really like look at the optics of that right right seriously it's hard for me to like not find it like funny and pathetic and think Uh something i shouldn't really worry about so when it comes to some of that stuff like the way i've been able to deal deal with it is honestly just not being as plugged in with that stuff as i used to be Mm -hmm. moving to la has made me really want to go out and like not be around my phone a lot and that i know has made it so that i can still create content despite whatever people in the ether are saying that's great. Right. That's great. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think that makes total sense of like striking that balance between because sometimes I feel like, you know, when you are creating content, you feel like you have no choice but to be plugged in all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think we get yeah. that message a lot. But I think being able to strike that balance of being plugged in enough to still keep your stuff going and still maintain what you got going on and still express yourself the way that you want to, but also not be just kind of whipped in every single other direction by reactions to it. Like, that's mm-hmm. great. And, and yeah. I don't think that's specific to creating content at all. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, anyone who has a Facebook page or a Twitter is yeah. creating yeah, content it's of the some world kind. In which even true. It's, now. Yeah, true. But even if it's just yeah. your own personal whatever, like the same thing of kind of that it's okay to disconnect from all that and that you don't have to let that become your focus. That's great. Yeah. 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 I will say, I do think there is something about the fact that like once you have so many years of experience doing doing this and i love that you said that for you like this is a habit now you know like like this isn't going away um i definitely found at least for myself that it's kind of like it gets to a certain point where there's like there's no insults i haven't heard there's no criticism i haven't heard there's no attack i haven't heard Mm -hmm. and so now it does get to a point of like where i'm kind of hoping like someone comes up with a new insult so i can at least be like oh that's a new one that's (laughs) where i'm at because like (laughs) my whole thing is like people have said shitty things to me my entire life and like there's i i can remember the ones that hurt but like calling me a racial slur or calling me a man and like purposely misgendering me, like, are you kidding? That's like entry level, man. Like, you think that's gonna get me? I've been doing this for 10 years. You think you're the first person to, to, to do that shit? Like, yeah. so I really do actually like sometimes like want for people to give me good insults or like things that make me like, oh, that's, a- yeah, that I guess that is true. Cause that's like, cause I have been in situations where people have said things to me and they weren't even trying to be mean to me but they mm. said something that I'm like, mm. wow, that's, that's true. And I'm mm. now kind of insulted or hurt, but like they, but that's why it was so hurtful because they weren't trying, you know, mm. like I wish sometimes people get that, like when you're a, a very public person, 
you know, specifically if you're a woman and you're saying anything, honestly, anything, you could be making videos about, you know, DIY crafts and you're still going to get crap. Like, you've heard it all. You've heard everything. Like, there's there's no new insult, really. And if they and if, you know, because you have these 4chan saying sometimes and like you've seen it after you see those a couple of times, it becomes old already. So even if it's technically new, it's like I've already right. been called this by, you know, right. you know, white knight 25. I, I already know, <laughs> you know, that that's a thing you say. What else? Mm. You know, uh-huh. Gosh. Yeah. Well, well, so I'm going to pivot a little bit and I want to talk about, you know, some of the stuff that you've been writing about on your recently launched blog. That's more specifically about dating your experience, exploring polyamory and things like that. And you wrote this really amazing post about the topic of worthiness and mm. specifically kind of the journey into realizing that, you know, you are worthy of good relationships, of being with good people, of not dating people who want to hide you or are ashamed of you or who treat you poorly. And it it really resonated with me because I feel like I've met so many people and I've been this person also who is willing to stay in a really bad relationship for so long or willing to tolerate a partner who treats them like trash for so long, um, often because they don't quite... And it's it's like, it's a weird thing because it's not like any, you know, it's not like feeling like I don't deserve better, but it's just kind of feeling like this is as good as I can get, you know, mm-hmm. and so I need to cherish that. And so I want to talk a little bit about that journey and, and I want to talk about for you specifically, like, when thinking about worthiness when it comes to relationships, what have been like the major turning points for you on that journey? Well, it's funny because like one thing I'm recognizing in this particular point of life I am in is that, you know, I still have a lot of that journey to still go on. You know, there's there's Don't a lot of <laughs> moments yeah. that I still yeah. have, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, I'm dealing with a whole different kind of man in Los Angeles. It's a whole different type of person um, you know and, and, oh boy. and it's like there's stuff that like i later have lo- like things i've done relationship wise i've later looked back and been like wow you know what i should have seen that i should have at that moment been like oh i don't deserve this and like walked away Gosh. but unfortunately yeah. i'm the sort of person i try really hard to see the best in people and yeah. often you know to my detriment but um I definitely am in a very different place, you know, than I used to be because, you know, as a trans person, you're very used to having people who say that they aren't going to be comfortable with people knowing that they're dealing with you, you know? Mm. So when I was younger, my whole thing was men would give me a list of the things that they wanted out of a woman. Um, and if I didn't have some of those things, it was, um, you know, then they could justify not taking me on a regular date, you know? And the biggest one for uh, for me when I was younger was whether or not I looked like a conventionally cisgendered woman. Um, mm. And so you'd have these these men, you know, because my personal situation is, you know, when I was a, a teenager and not even solidly identifying as just a woman, people always read me that way. And that mm. was always like a really frustrating thing for me because I'd always be like, no, it's not the, it's not the case. But men often would gaslight me into feeling like I looked completely the opposite of what I look like. And they would use that as like, that's why I can't take you on a, a regular date because, you know, if you looked like this, you know, da, 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 you know, if you did that, I would treat you like that. But, you know, 
I can't do that because you're not like that. You know, you get all these little messages where, you know, where men would just gaslight you into feeling like you're not worth it. And it really took me like the story I write about in my blog is I had this guy who I had met um, online and we had planned to go on like a real date. Oh, you gosh, know, like this a- story. Yeah, it was <laughs> fascinating and awful. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I write about that because I, I know that some people have those experiences and sometimes mm-hmm. need to hear it from someone else, too. But um, like I, I met a guy, we were supposed to go on a date and he drives, he's driving me. I remember he's got like a red pickup truck, right? And he's driving me, you know, to, you know, where we were supposed to go on our date. And, you know, he pulls into a neighborhood instead. Um, and he tells me that I need to get in the, on the floor in like the back of the truck. Now you can only imagine it's a pickup truck. There's not like a lot of these cars. They don't have a lot of space back there. I'm 5'10". Like it's not, it wasn't the easiest thing to do, which is probably why I remember it. So, so specifically, um, and I got on the floor of it and he wanted me to get down there because he didn't want anyone in the neighborhood even seeing that he was spending time with me, you know? Um, and that moment for me was one where I felt so incredibly low. Cause I, I, I had like both literally and figuratively, um, <laughs> Because I had, I had men do things like that. You know, I've had men be like, you know what? Like, oh yeah, I want to take you out on a date. And then maybe they'll come over to my place and then maybe they'll like, you know, have sex with me and be like, oh wow, you know, oh, I have to go do this thing and then we won't do the, do the date. And I'm, you know, thinking, oh shoot, if I had if I had sex with this guy, of course it's going to be like backwards thinking because that's how you, right. what you feel sometimes that you, you deserve. Um, and, you know, in that moment, I really just recognized that like, I don't, I deserve so much fucking more than that. You know, mm. I, I don't deserve to be someone's secret. Um, and, you know, sometimes when you tell yourself things like that, you have that that voice in the back of your head that's still saying to you, like, oh, girl, stop. Like, come on. Like, you, you think you're worth more than that? Like, mm. okay. And so initially it felt like I was sort of telling myself a lie. You know, like mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, you know, no, you deserve to be, you know, take someone take you to a dinner and movies like you deserve that. And it felt like a lie um, for a while until I recognized that when I set that standard for myself, the men who I actually did spend time with were just of better quality. And I mm-hmm. recognized that for some men, I can't say all men, some men will will literally deal with you the way that you allow yourself to be dealt with. Um, and if I allowed myself to settle for you know, sneaking into someone's trailer, you know, when and making sure that their neighbors don't see because, you know, they they're so ashamed. If I settle for that, that's probably what I'm going to get. And this isn't mm-hmm. to say that, you know, bad things like that don't happen regardless of the way that you carry yourself. You know, like street harassment, something I deal with all the time because I don't drive, um, which is also probably why I love Los Angeles. But it's in their conversation. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I know that regardless of what I wear, street harassment is going to happen and that's not my fault. You know, and that's not, you know, it's not because of how I'm dressed or anything like that. Like people will still treat you poorly. But sometimes when you do set those boundaries and those standards, mm-hmm. you can only you can only get like positive return. And that's really been like the thing I'm still telling myself is like you deserve more than to settle for mm-hmm. something that isn't actually going to feed you at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I Gosh, it's so amazing how like how prolific and it feels like universal that I think a lot of women have that voice in their head telling them Mm -hmm. like you're overreacting 
you're being yeah, ridiculous. Both of you're us being, are like, uh-huh. yeah, you're being irrational. Like, yeah. you are blowing this way out of proportion. Like, you need to just be cool. You need to just roll with it. You need to be mm. chill. And it's just like, no, <laughs> like, yeah. that's yeah. not that's not your actual voice. Like, that's a voice from outside of you that's been, yeah. you know, so culturized and socialized into us for so many years. But it like. But it's like a kind of thing where I've I felt like in my experience, it's felt like I feel like I'm gaslighting myself right now into thinking that I'm like not worthy or that I need to avoid rejection. I need to avoid pain. And actually, the you know, that's something that you cover a lot on your YouTube channel is this idea that like it's better to have more people reject you up front because that's Mm going to bring you more of like actual quality people into your life. And we stress that a lot on this podcast, particularly when it comes to people who specifically want to date non-monogamously or want to date polyamorously, because a lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people struggle with this idea of like, well, if I'm super upfront with people about my identity, my relationships, like everyone's going to reject me. Um, Mm. And trying to get across that message that like, that's not necessarily a bad thing, actually, like, because you really don't want to be with those people anyway is, is so important, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. Like for me, like, like, so it's always, it's funny to me because I'm super upfront. And I think it's because I've lived this life where I've very openly spoken about myself for so long that I find that I'm more willing to say, here's, look, here's everything you have to deal with. If you want to deal with me, you can either (laughs) take that or leave it. But either way, I have other people I could talk to if it's not your Mm. thing, you know, not, I don't say that that's mean. But like, that's what's in the back of my head. It's like, sure. here's my stuff, you know, like my my like my profile is such a like on dating sites is such a Virgo's profile. Like I have <laughs> like I, I have an Instagram account that I've specifically created Present. to have like yeah, images. I literally have an extended profile attached to like my Tinder profile that like is pictures that are also like the paragraphs on paragraphs of writing for like, oh if you want to know more, because it's like, I, I, I know there's so much to me and I could, it could be confusing. And I want to make mm. sure the trans thing is clear. The polyamorous thing is clear so that mm. when you contact me, you know what you're, you're dealing with. And That's you know, awesome. in my, in my real life, I just, I've noticed like when it comes to poly, especially like, I think sometimes I'm kind of in a weird bubble because I know so many poly people and I'm, you know, around it's I recognize that when I talk about my dating life, like it's weird to a lot of people because a lot of people, most people aren't polyamorous. And so when I mentioned partners or my partner here, or my partner there, they're like, what? Like you have more. Are, do they know about it? Like they're confused. So people know because I just talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a thing I have to hide. But I've I've talked to men. I've argued with men that, you know, contact me specifically on dating profiles. And they're like, oh, I'm super poly. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, it doesn't say anything like about that in your profile. Like. How do you expect that to to work out for you? You know, like, like prove it. Yeah, yeah. seriously. <laughs> oh yeah, seriously. Are you? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's another thing. I, I wrote a, a whole post about men, married men who aren't. I I literally was just going to start talking to you about that post because <laughs> it have was. A lot a, to say. No, to, yeah, it was amazing. I loved it, and it, we talk a lot about hierarchy on this show mm. and how it's not necessarily a thing that we're very into. Mm-hmm. Um, at least like as you know we're not necessarily pro hierarchy on this show um, and we are really interested in relationship anarchy and stuff like that um, so I just I was interested in are you also are you sort of have you like changed 
from maybe, you know, being polyamorous and being monogamous first and then going into your journey of polyamory. And now it mm. sounds like, well, I'm not into dating married men and people who are very pro one person hierarchy. And then that like changes the scape of your the scope of your relationship with them potentially. Mm -hmm. So it, what's changed or is this a thing that you've kind of found just through your polyamorous journey? Uh, can you talk a little bit about in, what you wrote in that amazing yeah. article that you did? Yeah, I have so much to say because this is like this has been a thing that I'm yeah. currently discovering and figuring out, mm -hmm. you know, like I. So like right now, the theme of where I am in life is I am trying to figure out my boundaries and my limitations and what I'm not going to do and what I'm OK with doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and right now I've recognized that, you know, for me personally, where I am, like I after having my life bound to someone for like five years, especially mm -hmm. in a monogamous context, I'm really not eager to jump into being in a, a position where I'm anyone's primary. Mm. Um, at the same time, I've also recognized um, that I do desire a more, um, I don't know, like my big thing right now that I've been saying to everyone is consistency, you know, like mm. consistency. Like I'd like to be able to be in a space where I'm seeing people, you know, not every two weeks. Um, Right. And I find that when I date men who are married or are attached, um, you know, that's not really a thing I can have. And, yeah. um, you know, like I had a situation I didn't I don't think. Oh, yeah. No. So this is new because I didn't write about this in the blog because this didn't happen yet. But um, I was dating this guy for a while. Married guy thought he was a really, really great guy. Unfortunately, he was just like if you could like best practices, like what I'm physically attracted to, he was like all of those things. I've always had like issues with maybe being a little too crazy when I talk, when I'm in situations like that. But like, so I did a lot of things with him quickly that I wouldn't have necessarily done. Um, mm -hmm. But I really liked him. But his whole situation was he's married. His wife was the person who um, was more poly than him. He, you know, she started the whole poly thing started. They were poly when they met. Well, she was poly when they met. But it wasn't really his thing, but it's kind of he's come to at this point have it be his thing. And so we went on a lot of very intense dates and it was super unique because like for me, at least, because I was really used to doing to doing the Dutch thing on dates. Um, mm -hmm. and, and he was like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to pay for everything. And not only that, we're going to go to like really, really nice restaurants. And so, you know, I was like, wow, I mean, yeah, if this is one of the benefits of patriarchy, I guess I'll take it. If it's free <laughs> drinks, I guess I'll take it, you know, like and so. I, I had a really fun dates, but the thing problem that we sort of had was because him and his wife both owned a business and were very, very busy. Her mm -hmm. sort of rule was that she didn't really want anyone who took up too much of his time. And she wanted someone who, you know, she she wanted basically for him to see me like every two weeks, you know, and like that was the limitation. Every two weeks you can have a night with Catherine and that's that. And, you know, I was when I heard that. It was almost a red flag to me, but I've been, you know, we were talking about like gaslighting yourself earlier. And this is one of the things I've been doing a lot to mm -hmm. myself is when I have situations like that, there's one side of me that initially is like, that doesn't fucking work. For me. Like that mm -hmm. doesn't work. That seems like your wife is insecure. Like, I don't like that. That seems like it's a bad story. There's another side of me. And this is kind of, I mean, no one can make me feel anything, but this, I, I'm going to say this is kind of how I've been made to feel dating a lot of polyamorous men 
um, that, that I feel like, well, you know, you should just like, like be open minded, you know, like be open minded. Mm. It's maybe, maybe this isn't exactly what you want, but keep, what if he ends up being really cool? What if it ends up being, you know, really, really worth it? And what if he turns out to be someone who you end up seeing for a lot, you know, all this stuff. And so I'm like, well, you know, let's, let's just see how it goes. Let's give it a try. I'm sorry, the, the, like the open minded thing, like the hair on the back of my neck stood up yeah. <laughs> like, when I heard that. I was like, mm. let's just yep. keep an open mind. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. that's all the, said the... that to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel like and it's something I've, I've really I mean, I've always sort of felt that for men. But in poly communities, I feel it a lot because maybe there are like initial reactions. You, you have to things that you're like, that's not the right reaction I should have to that. I'm poly. Why does this bother me? You know, mm-hmm. da, 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 you know, but I'm sort of spending time with myself and trying to figure out what those reactions are. Um, but anyway, so th- he went on this trip to Michigan, you know, and this was, you know, it just happened to be like on the the, the day, the, the week where we were supposed to hang out. And I texted him and I was like, hey, you know, um, you know, this is the week. Are we going to have, you know, do you have time to hang out this week? And I didn't hear from him, you know, I didn't hear from him for a while. Um, and, it, and, you know, I can't, I'm trying to not, I try not to do the text a lot, call a lot, you know, leave you messages a lot kind of thing. Cause I know that that seems really intense to some people, but I was like, we went on these really great dates. What's going on? Yeah. Um, and so I eventually get reached a point where I waited so long that I was like, look, man, I've had her, I had a good time. It was fun for what it was, but you know, I guess this is it, you know? And then I, of course I got like a text back you know, pretty immediately. Oh, I was in Michigan. I was in, you know, West Bumblefuck. I didn't have reception, you know, da, 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 <laughs> you know and, and, you know, and me still saying to myself, keep an open mind. Like, maybe mm-hmm. that's what happened. Da, 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 da. I was like, all right, maybe that's what happened. I believe. Right. And so we go on a couple more dates and they're about, they're intense and very, very, very intense. And then it's another one of those. It's the week where I'm supposed to see you and I don't hear from him, you know, I, and I know he's not taking a trip in West Bumblefuck this week, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, I text him on Monday and I don't hear from him by Wednesday. And then, you know, next week comes and next week comes and next, and I just don't hear from him. Complete silence. And it really bothered me because the last time we'd see, we saw each other, we um, were going into this, this bar that he, you know, described as like a place where he knew a lot of people potentially. And, because I'm the first person he dated outside of his wife, you know, there was like questions of like how to talk about that. But he very like confidently said to me that he would describe me as one of his partners. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I hadn't necessarily gotten there with him where I thought we were partners, Mm. but it was nice to hear that maybe that's how he was thinking about it. And so for him to go radio silence was like kind of aggravating me in a way because, you know, of course we all say polyamory is about communication. Right. But yeah, I'm like sure at as least we talk. Yeah. 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 And I'm sure as we all know, some people sometimes really struggle to, to communicate. And so right. I was like, I did this thing that may, I, it, this makes me feel crazy, but I was like, I'm going to do this because I want a fucking answer. And so I had a Google voice number and I said, you know what? I'm going to call him on Google voice, you know? And I call him up and he answers immediately, which was shocking because I'd called him so many times and never, had an answer from him and i was like hi and he was like hi who's this i'm like it's Catherine." and he's like oh oh and so i just kind of went into like so hey look 
I know that that we're probably not doing this anymore, but I just kind of wanted to know why, you know, like what mm -hmm. happened because we went from one extreme to, you know, nothing at all. And that's really strange. And, you know, he told me that apparently when he, him and his wife went on this trip and they got into this really, really intense argument, um, you know, and he kind of concluded that he needed to work things out with his wife and maybe he didn't have the time for a second relationship right now. Okay, and you couldn't like at all tell you that. You couldn't. <laughs> so and what was ridiculous. so aggravating to me was you could have just said that. You could have mm -hmm. just right. because especially with where I was, like if you said to me, "Look, Catherine, I've having I'm having a really really great time with you, but I need some time right now to figure stuff out with my wife. You know, this is not helping. You know, whatever." I would have been, you know, kind of bummed, but like I would have gotten over it. Like I have other partners. Like hello, like I'm not gonna be crying about this person who I, you know. I know we have good good terms with that just needs to figure their shit out. Like, I hate that. I do. I don't like the, you know, primary partner has the say, you know, the end the say at the end of the day kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I am always very respectful of what people have. Like if you've got if you're married with kids and you've got all these. I know that when you've been married for decades, which a lot of poly couples I've discovered kind of are. Like, I'm not going to walk into here expecting that I'm going to take up as much time as your kids or your wife that mm -hmm. you live with, you know? Like, I'm realistic about that, but I've learned that for me, I don't really work well when I don't know whether or not a partner that, you know, is, you know, that he, the, the partner of the person that I'm dating is actually on board. Because what I've discovered time and time and time again is that a, a lot of these men that I've dated that are polyamorous, you know, it's a thing they present to their wives who often will be like, sure, I'm totally cool with that. And they're not. And it sometimes mm -hmm. takes a while for people to figure that out. Like I had this guy who I dated for a while. I dated him for like, I, well, not, I mean, for a while. I mean, we went on like four really good dates. But by the fourth, yeah. first date, he had an uh, okay Cupid profile with, you know, and his wife had an okay Cupid profile and she was totally trying the poly thing out too. And it was really exciting and really, really great. And they were doing all these things. And then by the fourth week, you know, the poly thing that she tried to do didn't work out. And, you know, and now she's realizing that she actually really doesn't want to be with other people. Mm -hmm. And also she's yeah. really uncomfortable with her, him being with other people. And also he hasn't told her, like on the first date we went on, we kissed each other. And the, he said to me immediately, and this should have been a red flag. This is one of those, like, I should have seen this. When I kissed him, he was like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to have to tell. Yeah, oh, it's all so clear in mm -hmm. hindsight. Hindsight is so 2020. Um, I was like, he said to me, I'm going to have to tell my wife about this, you know? And I was like, well, your, your, your wife knows you're on like a date, right? Like, what does she expect you're going to do on a date? Like, like kissing to me is like the most innocent yeah. thing you can do on right. a date, you know? <laughs> um, and so we went on four dates and he, to this day, has still not told his wife that we've kissed, you know? And by Jeez. the fourth, yeah. And by the fourth <laughs> date. Like it was super clear. She's not Polly. And, you know, and it just it sucked because I, it was we got along really well. And, you know, if I go on four dates on you, I probably want to have sex with you. And that's basically that's definitely like kind of where we were. But like there's no communication. And then he had the audacity mm -hmm. to offer like his wife was over at like the, the stable center, where, which was close to where we were. And she was like at a concert and she was like, oh, he was like, oh, you know, she's kind of open to joining us after. And I'm like. You haven't told your wife that we've kissed and you want me to sit across from her and act like we haven't like sex sexed each other and made out a yeah. bunch of different times and mm -hmm. like done all these very intimate things. But you want like I don't understand the process. And his whole thing right now is like, 
I don't want to lose her. I'm not going to, I don't want to break up with her. I'm Polly and that's who I am, but I don't want to divorce my wife. And mm. I don't envy people in that, that scenario, but I, I don't get it. I told him like, you know, your wife is, you know, still very young. She has a lot of time to find someone out there who's going to really like love her monogamously. And I think sometimes yeah. for when you come, when you fall in love with a monogamous person and you know that it's, you're not going to be able to reconcile your polyamory. I think part of loving them is being like, look, I want you to have the life that you want and you're mm -hmm. not going to be able to have the life that you want with me. I mean, that's why I broke up with my ex is because mm -hmm. I really recognized that I was polyamorous. You know, funnily enough, being in a monogamous relationship really helped me understand that I was poly. Because um, <laughs> people had told me that I was polyamorous before, but I didn't believe them. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> no, you no, know, no. not <laughs> me. It's great that that works for you guys, but like not <laughs> for me. Like my my um, sweet mate in college gave me a copy of The Ethical Slut and I, I, I was like, like, because he saw how much I dated. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, are you, so you're calling me a slut? And I've never read the book. <laughs> never read yeah. it. Never read it. I have like the new version now, but which I'm reading through right now. But yeah, it's, I, I, had, I came to Polly really an understanding that, A, I was really comfortable with my partner being with other people. And then I also wanted to be with other people because my social circle expanded my travel and stuff and helped me yeah. kind of really understand that like he, didn't have you know, like he was amazing and great but like there were other people that also could enrich me in other ways you know mm -hmm. and that that was kind of how i felt about dating in general so right it's yeah. it's really like hearing that story i'm thinking back to what we were talking about earlier about worthiness mm -hmm. and putting up with things that you don't actually want and i'm thinking about his wife in that situation yeah. being like i bet she's wrestling with that and then looking at him He's wrestling with the same thing of feeling like, well, I'm not worthy of having the, the actual type of, of awfulness, right? Yeah. That, that, yeah, that like everyone in all those positions can get caught in that feeling of like, well, I just, I, this is as good as it could get. So I'm gonna be a little sneaky or I'm going to be mm -hmm. a little unhappy or yeah. yeah, it just sucks. And I don't want to live like that. Like so much mm. of my life is really about like, I want to make, I want to be happy. At the end of the day, I yeah. want to be happy. I don't want to sit around and stomach something that I hate. Life is too short for that. Mm. Why put yourself in a situation where you're going to be perpetually, you know, hurt and upset and it's not going to be working for you. But, you know, some people, they can't get themselves to the point where they recognize that they deserve more, where they recognize that they it's OK for you to have things. It's OK for you to be happy. So many people, their view of what life should be is con continuous misery and disappointment and sadness. Mm. And that's just that's supposed to be, you know, growing, you know, growth for you. And yes, that's part of it, but it doesn't have to be all of it. You can be happy. Mm. That's okay. You know? Right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. 
And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. Well, you know, that story reminds me of, you know, I've met a number of people who have said, you know, like now I'm like, I'm only going to date people who already identify as polyamorous and like already have a partner or mm. partners or whatever. Um, like there's people I know who like are committed to that because, you know, because I get it because they're like, I'm tired of doing this labor of trying to like convert people um or trying to like guide people through and like i get it it definitely takes a lot of like time and effort and labor to kind of introduce someone new to this whole scene um however on the other hand i've also learned that it's like just because someone identifies as polyamorous and just because someone has a partner does not mean that you're insulated from them being shady as fuck Mm -hmm. essentially i've learned that time and time (laughs) again yeah unfortunately and and that's the thing is i you know i have a number of clients who run up against this of like they try to date in the polyamorous community and they end up only dating like people who are already married. And again, that same situation where it's like, we've been married monogamously for decades and now are just opening up. And like, it's great that you're there in the dating pool, but also it's this whole other kind of labor that I have to deal with of you navigating how this is going to look of me navigating my expectations of what I actually can or can't ask from you. Um, And it is just kind of like, it's just a whole other different kind of labor I've found. And so I've, I don't know. That's what I end up telling people is that it's like, you know, I think it's okay to like make that kind of like commitment to yourself of like, I'm only going to date people who identify this way or already have a partner, but it's, it's not necessarily like going to be 100% the easier path than yeah. dating someone who's like newish to this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm continuously learning that even people who I, who I know have been in the poly community for a very long time and have done this for a very long time, they're still susceptible to be dishonest and misleading and manipulative and all these other things. Like it's not like calling yourself polyamorous does not necessarily mean that you communicate, you know, like mm. it should, but it, it often doesn't. Cause honestly it's hard. It's hard to be honest with people and it's hard to mm-hmm. communicate. And like, I've always sort of referred to like dating poly as like almost dating on speed because like usually <laughs> you like have to at a certain point, very quickly determine if you don't want to spend time with this person or this person isn't going to mm. be good for you because you, you there's only so much time in the, the day, you know, right. and, I, and I've my observation and this is maybe just the men that I deal with is just some some men and I know women, too, but I don't date women, so I don't know, like they, people just like to have a lot in their arsenal. They like to have a lot in their plate so that they can pick from people whenever there's a free day, 
Hmm. And some people haven't really gotten to the point where they're like, you know what? I can maybe handle like two partners tops. You <laughs> right. know, like, like that's probably <laughs> as much as I can handle. But uh-huh. like three, four, five, maybe that's just not really in the cards for me. Um, right. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to ask, we have asked this of other people who've come on the show recently as well, but do you think the landscape is changing based on things like the Me Too movement um, and just it's sort of like the current political climate in America and in the world? Uh, that hopefully we're moving in the direction of better rights for trans people, for people of color, for women. Do you think that that's the direction in which we're moving? Um, just from your foray into YouTube and, <laughs> you know, various online comments and all of that? Or do you think that it is, it, we still obviously have a long way to go, but um, where do you think we are with that? I So I have complex feelings on that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I... Doing what I've done for so long, um, like when it comes to trans stuff, I've seen a shift. And I think that in many ways that, that shift is positive and really, really great. In another way, there are things that um, I'm, I'm having to worry about now that I never had to worry about before, um, based purely on like the general ignorance people had about transgender people. Um, like for me, like the bathroom conversation is like, mm baffling to me because yeah, i've been using I've the women's your, restroom yeah yeah your huffington post article was amazing <laughs> on that the yeah being trans while defecating it was great yeah well because it's, <laughs> yeah. it's it's that to me it's literally like everyone like regardless of your gender hopefully yeah. everyone pisses and shits like yeah but we're making this such a, an intense political thing when like at the end of the day you have to go to the goddamn bathroom and that's just how it is. If you want to leave, be outside of the house, like your body is going to automatically say, you know what, I got to go to that bathroom at a certain point. And so like for me, like I remember a time where people didn't have as much of an awareness of trans people. And so there were people who were stealth and, you know, like I still have a friend right now who's a school teacher, you know, and, and no one knows in the situation that she's trans, you know. Um, and that was just what things that was more common you know, for people to transition to disappear um, and for people to not and, and maybe to be able to disappear because people didn't have necessarily like an awareness or an acute eye to like trans stuff. So, you know, now on one hand, hyper visibility from, you know, in my opinion, has been really, really amazing. Like I make the videos. I mean, not even I make the videos because a lot of my, my stuff doesn't even talk about trans stuff, but I'm a visible person on the Internet largely because when I was younger and I would close my eyes and think about, you know, what my future could be, I literally couldn't think of anything. I had no mm. examples of like what being a trans adult could be. Um, yeah. But, you know, now I'm 28 years old. I'm where, you know, little, you know, 16 year old me thought I would never be ever. I thought I wouldn't mm. even make it to this age. You know, I thought something really scary and dire would happen to me because that was the narrative that was sold of like, well. if you're a trans person, you're probably gonna end up selling your ass and, and overdosing and dying. Like that's the story. You know, but now I have this life where, you know, I've been doing something I'm passionate about and it's been it's become my career and I'm feeding myself from it. And that's something that I I know, you know, going back to the worthlessness thing, a lot of younger trans people can't even get themselves to the point where they say that that's a thing that's possible for them. Mm. And so I stay visible for that reason, because it's very encouraging to trans people. And I think that we've expanded a lot of language and a lot of 
knowledge about trans identity and stuff because of visibility. Um, yeah. I'm also now having to have conversations about the fucking bathroom. You know, I'm right. now having to have conversations, you know, about trans people, you know, doing this and doing that. And and there's an awareness like to the point where I've had like cis girlfriends of, of mine ask be you know, tell me that they've been asked if they're trans and if they're trying to trick someone da, da, da. and they're cis women like they're they're not trans, but they've been asked if they're trans because there's this paranoia around, you know, trans women tricking men, you know, mm. and I've definitely gotten asked that before. Many times. <laughs> So, and it's, it's just it's, from the way I sound. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so like weird because I don't like maybe I don't know. Maybe this is also I was younger. Maybe I didn't see it, but we didn't have as much of that conversation, mm. you know, not even five years ago. Um, and so it's weird because on one hand, I think things are sort of getting better. But I'm also seeing a doubling down from people who probably didn't even know trans people really existed for, for real, real until recently. Who are like oh wow we have to stop this we have to make it harder you know for trans people i mean the fact that the trump it, you know is playing with the idea of genetically testing people and legally registering them as the gender that they genetically test as is like to me some scary precursor to genocide oh, oh, oh yeah no, that's a whole yeah it's, yeah, whole it's bad thing. news it's real bad news oh, it's and, it, and it's and it's, that's to me it's really really scary and i have this sort of conversation with myself sometimes of like is this the cost of visibility? Is the cost of visibility mm. now that people are so aware of trans people that they're like, you know what, we need to genetically re register all of them, you know? Um, which to me, that's not the, the way I was going with anything. Mm. Um, and so there's always that kind of question I ask of myself because for me, my personal story was, you know, my goal in life was to transition and then disappear. You know, like I always, in my talks, I always tell the story of like, how people used to talk about trans people, like, or how trans women used to tell their stories, which were very like, you know, I figured out that I was transgender, you know, I, I started taking hormones on the streets, my body started changing, you know, um, I started to, you know, want the surge, the surgery, then I got the surgery, then I killed everyone that ever knew me before I transitioned, moved to another state, and now I'm writing this, you know, to you on the front porch of my lawn, I'm married, I have 2.5 kids and a dog, and like everything's perfect and no one knows that I'm transgender. Like that was the story without the whole like killing people thing, but like <laughs> that that was the story, you know. And um, wow. it's not like that. I have to completely obliterate everything that I was mm -hmm. before, and like no one can actually know in order for me to actually have a viable life. Exactly. Yeah, literally that. Yeah. And so for me, that was kind of that was my goal. Is you know, I was like, I'm gonna make sure my my paperwork is all changed. So that I never have to worry about people knowing that I'm trans, you know, mm. and I changed it when I was young enough to where I don't have a paper trail in like my dead name, really. Like I, mm. I, I didn't, you know, I barely, I didn't even have, a, I didn't have a, a legitimate job until I had changed everything, you know. Mm. And so it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird because now we're the opposite in like an age where being visible as a trans person is like a, it's, it's. It's more of an accepted thing. But as we we verge towards the time where people are like genuinely speaking about we should genetically test trans people and we should prevent them from going into certain restrooms. I'm like, well, maybe they were right. Like maybe hiding if you could was just survival. And that's why mm. a lot of people did it was it was just survival. You know, I go. So I go back and forth. Um, I think things are generally getting better. But I think, again, like the genetically testing trans people, you know, to, you know, 
to determine their gender based on what they their genetics say is like that's some scary shit that wasn't even in, on my mind of like yeah. possibilities for where our country could go in terms of treatment of transgender people. So, I mean, when you have the Trump administration su suggesting that the Obama administration unfairly extended civil rights to trans people who didn't really deserve them, it's like that to me, that's some scary, heartless stuff. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I, I, I wonder if we would have gotten there if, you know, we had less visibility if people knew mm. in passing that trans people existed, but there weren't the Caitlyn Jenner's and the Laverne Cox's right. that are there, you know. But at the same time, I also know how revolutionary it is for people to see themselves reflected because that's what I do. So it's yeah. a it's 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 in a way a, a double edged sword. But I want to believe I really, really want to believe that it's going to end up better than worse. You know, I want to yeah. believe that, you know, by the time, you know, if I ever decide to, you know, adopt children because, you know, fuck having actual kids. But that's another conversation. Um, <laughs> they're ends up adopting Amen. kids and they grow up like I yeah. want to believe that they're going to be at a point where like trans people, no big deal, not, yeah. you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's nothing. I yeah. want to believe that. And I, I, and I do think on, on a, in a lot of ways, like we're already seeing that with the young kids of today, you know, where yeah. they're a little bit like they, they care a little less, you know, about mm -hmm. their, their friends or whoever being trans. Right. So it goes both ways, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, we can certainly hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, we wanted to leave you with one last question, and that was um, if there was one thing that you could magically get everyone to understand to make the world a better place for trans people or polyamorous people, what would it be? Oh, my God. That's a big one. I know. Just one thing? Oh, I know. Dear. Maybe you can do two, like one for uh, one each, each category. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so here's my sort of thing. Like, I've had... The response people have had to my stuff is very interesting because I've had a lot of people from distinctly different types of ideologies and groups follow me. And some of them will discover different things about me as they continue to watch my content. And sometimes that's very surprising to them and it makes them think differently. Like I have like there's there are people who only watch my racism stuff and my feminism stuff. And because they've only ever seen that and they've never heard me talk about being trans, they don't know that I'm trans, you know, mm -hmm. and they may love my stuff, but they haven't gotten to that point where they've clicked over to the video where I'm talking about being transgender. Um, and so I've had the, the weird thing where people were kind of like, you know what? Like, I didn't really accept or understand transgender people. And then I sort of started watching your content and mm -hmm. it was able to piece together so many like things for me to make me understand, you know, that how I felt was wrong. And yeah. I think, generally speaking, across the board, um, people just need to be able to really listen to other people. It's so easy to, like, like kind of going back to the whole trans, um, you know, whether things are getting better for trans people thing. It's like, you, you have now, I've seen, like, all of these conspiracy theories about who trans people are, you know? Yeah. Like, Trans people are these men who are going to pretend to be women to go into the restroom to possibly right. rape women and girls. Like, that's who trans people are. And that is who trans people are to the people who don't know transgender people. Like, to right. the people where who trans people are just like this concept, they're just like this idea, that's who trans people are. And once they start to, to, to meet people who are trans, once they start to actually have friends that are trans, 
you do sort of get to a point where you're like, wait, I can't think this way anymore because mm. it's not true. You know, it's yeah, not accurate for me to to feel that trans people are, are these, you know, these people who are preying on everyone because that's just not that's not what I've seen from my own observation. Right. And so I think people need to, to listen to people more. I mean, like right now, I'm actually working on a series on my channel where I'm interviewing people about misconceptions about their lifestyles and their identities. Mm. Um, and a lot of that is done specifically because I want to create these videos where people are just telling their story and responding mm. to misconception and really just saying it so that it can be heard and hopefully listened to. Um, because I really do believe that we really do get further when we listen to each other. I mean, some people you don't need to listen to. Some people, like, I'm not listening to a white supremacist, you know, about why I'm inferior. Like, we're not going to do that. But, you know, maybe there's a person who reached the point of white supremacy from a point of ignorance of just not knowing any better. And maybe that person yeah. is good to listen to because they're in a position where they just don't know, you know? Mm -hmm. And honestly, connecting this to Polly, because this, this was definitely true for me, because you know, growing up, I definitely had a lot of my own like reservations and ideas of what those poly people did, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of my reaching the conclusion of me being polyamorous was going to events and meeting people who are in functioning polyamorous relationships mm -hmm. and just sort of like talking to them about like how that works and like, you know, whether they have these issues or those issues, because, you know, when you're raised so not to think so monogamously, it's you, you have such a hard and, and we already know this, but it's a hard time, like even conceiving of like how you could even really do that. Like, how could you love more yeah. than one person? How could you do these things with more than one person and not be a bad, terrible person? You know, like right. it's so it's hard sometimes to get there. But I had to really have conversations with poly people that humanize them and make you realize like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely one of you. You know, like <laughs> I had to do that. So and, and that's kind of what I try to stress with everyone is that I'm still growing and I'm still learning and I'm still, you know, changing and stuff. And I'm open to those conversations. And a lot of the people I'm interviewing, it's like, I, I, I might have like passing disagreements. Like I'm an atheist, for example. And I, mm -hmm. I've interviewed two people so far who have very strong religious beliefs. One, one of whom is mm -hmm. a Christian, the other whom is a, a practicing witch. Um, and I don't really believe in either of those things. But yeah. speaking to those people and hearing why they revere those things, helps me understand what it does for them and also how valid their practice is, even if it's not something I participate in. Um, yeah. And I think that is, you know, important. And, you know, I said this in a video that I just uploaded and it sounds like really scary, but this is honestly how I think. Um, the, I feel like the, the, end, the world is ending soon. Um, and I don't want to feel that way, but like it's in my mind all the time. I watch way too much Walking Dead. And Gosh, <laughs> you did talk about post-apocalyptic stuff in some of your writings. Yeah, yeah well, because it's a thing I genuinely think about. And I am honestly, like, when I meet partners, they're in the back of my mind, I am kind of like, so if we are in a bunker, um, like, what, <laughs> what would the use useful skill, like, what yeah. use will you be? Like, I actually, I had a guy today come over and fix my computer, and he's a guy who's part of the poly community that I'm in, and we're getting drinks after I do this, this interview. Um, and he came over and fixed my computer and he's also a farmer and I'm like, oh. you're just, you're going to, you're going to do so Great. well. Um, <laughs> but like, I think really because I'm, I'm thinking about the end of the world a lot, I'm honestly thinking like, so what is going to happen when the shit hits the fan? Like, yeah. I don't want for our biases or the amount of division that we've had 
among each other be like the reason why we don't bind together and kill the zombies mm, or the aliens yeah. or whoever, mm-hmm. you know. I want us to be able to survive as a human race. And so for me, this is so deep and I feel so paranoid saying it, but it's really, <laughs> it's really like the, 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 board, like the underlying current to a lot of the work I'm doing now. It's like, I want us to listen to each other and learn to empathize mm-hmm. with each other and, and just learn to co-fucking exist, you know, mm-hmm. because that's what I want. I want us to all mm-hmm. coexist as, you know, yeah. ideal liberalism-ish th- as that sounds. It's like, I, that's what I want for us. I don't want to be in a, a world where we're fighting so much. And so that's why my criticisms and my stuff is always really stern. It's like, I'm not going to sugarcoat the history of racism for you yeah, because we yeah. need to know what this is so that we see it when it happens again, you know, and, and we know that we don't ever want to be like that ever again. Um, yeah. To me, that is so important. Um, because I we I think we're, we're we're destined to repeat former mistakes if we don't think about stuff in that way. So right, yeah, listening. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, yeah. Yeah. Kat. Thank you for having um, me. Can you please tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff? Obviously, they search Cat Black on YouTube. Uh, where mm-hmm. else would you want them to go? Um, well, so a lot, so this is not what I would promote, but apparently people really like my Twitter. I don't get it, but apparently people like my <laughs> you Twitter. You do have a nice Twitter. It's oh, thank fun. you. It's very fun. It's my, tra- it's like, to me, it's where my content goes to like die. Like it's like the place, <laughs> it's the place I don't take seriously, like at all. It's like mostly me talking about K-pop and then occasionally narrating <laughs> my, my nights out. Like it's, it's so random. Um, but, um. The stuff I'm the most proud of would be my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catblack, K-A-T-B-L-A-Q-U-E, because I don't like to spell things correctly. Um, <laughs> or www.agirlnamedcatherine, Catherine spelled K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. Um, that's where I'm doing more of my writing stuff. And I'm really sort of excited about doing that because that's really the where I started. That's like on blogger, like writing in a very, you know, it's just that because like the website's still the same too so it feels like i'm writing in, in like 2005 right? like it's yeah. i feel very nostalgic having like a blog where i'm writing on again and i'm like really really excited about that because writing was what i was known for and then i started making videos mm. and then people kind of forgot that i wrote so um <laughs> i'm very proud of that and i'm very proud of um you know my my um actual youtube channel that is why I'm here. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. And that new YouTube series that you talked about, is that on your normal channel? Yes, it's going to okay. be on my normal channel. It's going to start, start posting videos um, in the beginning of next year. That is the goal. Um, and I've got a lot of really interesting stuff. So, nice. awesome. super exciting. Well, awesome. thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, that was fantastic. And we are excited to hear from all of you. What were your thoughts about this? What did it bring up for you? Did you have any experiences in your life that these things reminded you of? Um, We would love to hear about that. And we'd love to hear what you think about Kat's work. And the best place to share your thoughts about this episode is with other listeners on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook or Discord or Discourse forums. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, You can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com or leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-0-5 or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. 
Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.